Hi, this is Dominic Pace, who plays Gekko the Bounty Hunter from The Mandalorian, and you are listening to Star Wars Comics in Canon. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings another book review. So my friends, this week I am tackling the third of the High Republic main air quotes adult novels. So this takes place still in the first phase, but this is the third wave. So this is The Fallen Star by Claudia Gray. Now, if you haven't listened to a book review of mine before, let me just run through a couple of bits that I do. So the first third or so is going to be spoiler free. So I'm going to give my thoughts on it, tell you about where it falls in the timeline, just a bit of information that you'd find either just from the press release of this very book or just really small amounts of information, including like the blurb and things like that. So no spoilers at all and just my general thoughts on it. Then I move on to slightly more spoiler territory where I speak about the characters a little bit more. I speak about the themes a little bit more and then some light plot information that you'd find out from the first chapter or two of the book itself and then I give plenty of warning and then I give a big spoilery kind of review the final part is more so me giving a brief summary of the plot just for those individuals who don't have time to consume all High Republic content or all content in the Star Wars canon and want to have an understanding of the just broad strokes of plots and things and just to find out other pieces of information as well just so you're kind of kept in the loop without having to read a 300 odd page book including including for all the other book reviews. So that's generally how I structure my book reviews. So if you haven't checked out my reviews on like The Jedi, The Rising Storm, or their accompanying novels, which are the junior novels and the young adult novels, which are all in the same waves of The High Republic, I have tackled all of those. You can either just type in whatever book review you want and then type in comics after it or canon after it, and it should come up wherever you're listening on the podcasting apps or things. But if you're listening on YouTube, you can just go into the playlists. I've got a playlist for The High Republic, and I also have a playlist for book reviews. So lots of places where you can listen to my other book reviews on High Republic stuff and also non-High Republic stuff. But with that in mind, let's get into the first third of my review, which is the spoiler-free thought. So first of all, The Fallen Star, as I said, is the third book of the main adult books in the first phase of The High Republic. So The High Republic so far has been split into three phases, so phase one, two, and three. As of recording this, phase two has not even been released yet. It is starting in October 2022, and each phase has got waves within it. So the way phase one worked is wave one, two, and three. Wave one was Light of the Jedi, the first arc of the Star Wars Marvel comics, the first arc of the Star Wars Adventures comics comics then as well as these two supporting novels because it's normally a main adult novel and then a young adult novel and also a junior novel and as I've reviewed the junior novels and the young adult novels I say they are really really good the junior novels especially really surprise me every time I read them they are just fantastic and that is going to be the thing that I read next so the next book review after this is going to be the junior novel of phase one wave three and that is mission to disaster and then after that I'll do the young adult novel which is midnight horizon 
And the way they generally work is the main plot details happen in the adult novel. The young adult books often take place like a little bit after the main adult novel, so they kind of serve as, I deem it as almost an extended epilogue or just a side story, something that has got characters that aren't explicitly affected by the events of the main novel as much as other characters would be, but still have an impact in the galaxy as a whole. Whereas the junior novel generally is something that is quite highly affected by the events of the adult novel, but don't go into the specific graphic details because in the adult novels there are elements of horror and there's character deaths and other things like that that happen and the junior novels do a good way of telling you what events occurred in the main adult novels without having gone into the details but also telling their own story in itself and some of the characters in the junior novels are absolutely brilliant like Vanessa Rowe who is one of my favorite characters in the High Republic she debuted in the first junior novel which was a test of courage and then she appears in the young adult novel Out of the Shadows which was the last book review that I did and she is once again the central character in Mission to Disaster which is the junior novel for the third wave first phase of the High Republic so that's generally where it all takes place and I imagine by now you guys are all aware that the High Republic takes place around 200 years before the Phantom Menace but that is specifically this first phase then the second phase is going to serve as a prequel so the second phase is going to be 150 years before the first phase so this means from October when I'm tackling the next wave of the comics and the variety of books and things they're going to be taking place around 350 years before the Phantom Menace, which is around 480, 490 years before the Battle of Yavin, uh, which obviously is when A New Hope occurred. So that's the general idea of the timeline. And then from what the High Republic authors have said, it seems like Phase 3 is then going to be a sequel to Phase 1. So it's kind of going to go similarly to how The Godfather trilogy of movies did but also how the trilogies of star wars movies did you know originals prequels sequels that's a generally a good way to kind of understand what's going on and just a little plug here for myself is that i actually have spoken with both claudia gray the author of this book and also kevin scott who's the author of the second book which is the rising storm as well as the high republic comics and also the miniseries the monster of temple peak so i've spoken to both of those high republic authors i believe i released them on this very feed if you're listening on comics in motion if you're on youtube then you'll be able to check it out there as well but I also spoke to them on the feed of my other podcast, Genuine Chit Chat. I spoke with Claudia Gray at the tail end of 2020, so that was just before the High Republic books came out, and that was when she was doing promo for the Into the Dark book, which is the first young adult novel. It's part of Phase 1, Wave 1, and it features the Drengear and how they kind of got into the galaxy and things. So I've done a book review for that book as well, as speaking to Claudia Gray about that. And then I spoke with Kevin Scott a couple weeks ago, and he spoke to me about his book, The Rising Storm, The High Republic as a whole, and some of the other projects he's been involved with as well and the conversation with Kevin Scott also has full video to it as well so if you want to check that out on YouTube you can if you just want to listen to it then yeah just type in Kevin Scott Star Wars interview it'll be one of those it'll be on this very feed in fact it should only be a couple weeks before this episode had dropped so if you found this one you're listening on Comics in Motion you should be able to go back and listen to that and I do highly recommend it because it works really well as its own thing but also if you're a consumer of higher public content it adds a little bit of extra flavour but that's the kind of background information I wanted to get into. So let's get into my thoughts specifically of this book. So starting off, the best thing to do would be to compare it to the prior two books. So we started with Light of the Jedi, then it was The Rising Storm, and then it was The Fallen Star. I'm not going to compare it to the junior novels or the young adult novels because they're all structured in a slightly different way. And it's just a bit easier rather than trying to compare like nine books together. So between these three... 
The Fallen Star, I will clarify by saying it is a really, really good book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was brilliant. It is one of the better of the Star Wars novels I have read. However, I think of the three, I believe it is probably the weakest. And I want to clarify that's nothing against Claudia Gray or anything like that, but the story itself is a lot more self-contained. It's a lot more isolated and it's not dissimilar in a sense to how Into the Dark was as well. And that's not because of Claudia Gray. It's just the story that the High Republic authors wanted to tell. And due to me, consuming other content of the High Republic, as well as seeing some of the press that got released for this. What happens in this book, you can basically tell that from almost anything. So the name of the book alludes to it, so does any of the promo material, so does the final issue of the High Republic comics, issue 15. Um, so lots of elements of it, one would already know what's going to happen in this book. It's more so how it happened and who survived, who died. That was what was a lot of the stuff around the press and the promo information of this final wave of the High Republic. It wasn't what's going to happen. It was a very clear image of what is going to happen, but it, the question was who survived this event. So that immediately, for me, made it one step lower a little bit than the other ones because I already knew what was going to happen. Not dissimilar to when prequels get released of certain characters like the Solo movie. You know, you watch the Solo movie, you know Han Solo isn't going to die you know Lando and Chewie aren't going to die and you know the Falcon is in some form going to survive because you know that they're characters that are in the original trilogy so even from starting before Solo even came out I already knew certain characters were going to survive and with this it was kind of the opposite I didn't know which characters were going to survive I had some hopes I had some thoughts I didn't know who was going to but I knew a specific event that was going to happen so I'm not going to say explicitly what that event is until I get to the second review uh, the second part of this review uh, because as I said it's written everywhere it's even in the name of this book but the way I would compare these books after some time to think about it I think the ratings that I would give to the books out of 10 which I don't generally do I do on my Patreon a little bit because I do other book reviews that are uh, some legend stuff and some non-High Republic but still canon books so I've done A New Dawn A Shatterpoint which is Legends Darth Plagueis which is Legends Last Shot and Dark Disciple so I've done reviews for all of those and I, I generally gave them things out of 10 but on this feed for the High Republic stuff I generally haven't but just to compare the three together I would say Light of the Jedi is an easy 9 out of 10 book uh, 9 out of 10 because it's just brilliant in so many ways my only issue really with it was just that it's a lot to deal with the first third of the book there's so much going on and that's how they wanted it to be and it works well, but sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming to figure out which characters are doing what and stuff. And I, I did read this book because the Patreon books I do, I generally listen to on Audible, but these books I have physical copies of and I read them. So like the Jedi, my only real qualm with it was just, it's a lot to deal with. There's a lot going on and it's, you know, kind of hitting the ground running, which is what they wanted and it works, but it was a bit overwhelming at times. The Rising Storm, I'd give 9.5 out of 10. I think it's nearly perfect. I don't really think there's many major flaws in it. I don't think there's anything that could have been necessarily massively improved, but I'm very cautious when giving a book a 10 out of 10 rating. I think with The Rising Storm, once again, the blurb kind of gave away certain elements of it. So I'm just going to say it says on the back about there's a Republic fair and the Nile are preparing to attack. And it's like, well, we know the Nile are going to attack the Republic fair then. So although the plot wasn't as clear as it is for this book, The Fallen Star, the 0.5 not giving it a perfect score was just kind of, you knew what was going to happen. It was just kind of waiting for it to happen. I know Kevin Scott, he loves horror and a lot of the elements of The Rising Storm 
Storm and Kevin Scott's other works have got a lot of horror elements to it. And when you go and watch, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th, the question isn't what's going to happen. It's when is Freddy Krueger going to attack? When is Jason Voorhees or his mum going to attack? You know, when are these elements going to occur? Not what's going to occur, if you see what I mean. And so with The Rising Storm, I got that. But I think there are so many other intertwined elements. And because we already knew who the characters were, you really want to know, you know, what happened after Light of the Jedi? Who survived? Who didn't do this? What's going to happen here? So I think it was a little bit more open-ended, but that's why I would give it a perfect score. This one, I think I'd give an 8.5. So I still think it's an excellent book. I think it's definitely worth a read and it will not disappoint you when you read this after reading the other two. It's still definitely in the same league as them. But because of knowing a bit about the plot, it did take away a little bit from it. Part of that was myself because I did read the High Republic comics. I read all of those. So it ended with the 15th issue. And I mentioned this in my review of that, which I'd released, I think, two or three weeks ago on this feed once again. Uh, so you can check that out or it's in the High Republic playlist if you're listening on YouTube. So I go through the plot details of the comics, etc. But in that, the, where those comics finish is about a third through this book. And I was aware of that going in, but I basically ordered a signed version of The Fallen Star. It was signed by Claudia Gray, but it arrived like a month after the release date. So I didn't want to stop reading other High Republic content, but I did hold off on reading certain ones, but I couldn't resist reading the comics. So obviously that in some ways I did shoot myself in the foot, but there wasn't a surprise when I read that comic when the certain thing happened. It was quite obvious it's even on the cover of the comic. So you don't even need to read the comic. You just need to have seen it in some manner. So that marked off like a small amount of points. But in all honesty, because it's such an insular story, because it all takes place, apart from like one or two chapters, it's pretty much all taking place in this one location. And although that works really well and you're flitting from character to character and there's a lot going on and kudos to Claudia Gray for being able to write this, it just didn't make me want to pick up and continue reading the same way the other two books did. When I started Light of the Jedi, I flew through the first third. I could not put it down. Then after the first third, when things in the plot kind of calmed down a little bit, then I was still reading, still intrigued, but I wasn't like having to pick up the book, never could put it down. It wasn't quite that amount, but then when you get towards the end of Light of the Jedi, it started that up again. Rising Storm, the entire time, I couldn't put the book down at all. When I was working, I was excited to come home and be able to read it. I was finding any time to be able to read The Rising Storm. It was I could not put that book down. It's one of my favorite Star Wars books ever. With this one, it took me a little while to read. I've had it now for several weeks and, you know, I read the first quarter or so of it and I was really into it and things. And then I put it down because I was reading some other things and doing some other stuff and I didn't like rush to pick it up again. And I just think that although quite a lot of things happens to certain characters, you know, there's many characters that die in this and although that does generally for me make it like a good plot and there's lots of twists and turns and lots of exciting stuff that does happen i just didn't have that need to pick it up again i did want to read it and finish it for this podcast and because i want to consume the other high republic content that i know is set during this and i didn't want anything else to get spoiled for me you know certain character or anything but i just found that because i kind of knew what was happening and that this was the end of this phase and all the promo stuff and everything kind of culminating together when i finished the book i was like oh that was really cool it had a lot of stuff in there i didn't expect and lots of characters stuff I really really enjoyed but the middle part of the book it had and I'm going to use the word I use all the time on my Patreon it had a bit of a lull there was just this period of time where everyone's kind of in the book trying to figure out what's going on and nothing is explicitly happening and there's several chapters where it's all like a build-up to the next big thing that happens you know the first third of the books something happens then there's the next third trying to figure it out and then the last third is when you know you're at the 11th hour trying to solve whatever problems raised well with this it was like that but the, there was a few chapters where just nothing was specifically happening it was kind of you know as a horror fan you could kind of see 
it's you know after you've seen the main monster and then it disappears for a bit it's like oh when's it going to come back when's it going to get people kind of like that but i just didn't have that same grab of really really wanting to pick it up again but then when i got to the last third or more so the last quarter then it was once again i'm really excited for this and in fact i recently went on a holiday to malta and i took my book with me and i found most nights when i was reading i was actually gravitating towards reading comics i was actually reading moon knight funnily enough but when i was on the plane and i was like all right i'm gonna read the fallen star you know i want to finish shit and things the whole plane ride zoomed by i was on the plane for about three and a half hours i think i was reading full and stuff about two and a half hours uninterrupted and it was fantastic and i'd almost say for people it's not always easy to and it's definitely not for my life because i generally read books and comics before bed or at lunch times um at work and things so i only normally have an hour or so maybe an hour and a half to be able to read things at a time whereas I feel like with The Fallen Star, the best way to consume this would be to somehow push off like nine hours, like block off nine hours in your calendar and have like three hours a time and maybe have like a few days between each block off. So if you have the time for it, it'd almost be worth doing like reading three hours on like a Wednesday, then if three more hours like a Saturday and then three more hours like on the Sunday or maybe a following couple of days, just because I really feel like it would benefit from that if it took me nine hours to read. I can't remember how long it took me to read this book, but however long it would take just block off several hours and try and read big chunks at a time because i was finding i'd read like two or three chapters before bed and then i'd pick it up a couple of days later and read another two or three chapters and when i'd start the chapter i'd be like i can't really remember what's happening because everything is happening basically in real time like from the start of the book after maybe the fifth chapter or so to the end in the story it only takes place over several hours i'd probably say maybe a push six hours maybe this whole book you could argue takes place over 10 hours at a push but i'd say maybe four to six hours is the scale of this book which is not a long period of time when it compares to some of the other books where you even have time jumps within it or there's like oh preparations for the fair okay here's before the fair then a few days pass then there's the fair itself which is over like a day and then there's the aftermath of the fair which is another day or so so more so like a week and i think with star wars a lot of the time it is each movie is generally speaking aside from time jumps taking place over a few days or maybe even a couple of weeks whereas all in one day is a lot and i think the last jedi was probably the closest film to that and i do love that movie but it did feel a bit like oh this is taking place moments after the last movie and it all takes place within like a couple of days and it just doesn't give a lot of space for growth and or even time to breathe because everything's happening so quick and there's a lot of films and books and things that work when it's a a very insular story it's like this took place over a few hours but generally speaking i'm not as much of a fan of that i'd rather rather have a few days and things like that when the story allows for it so i just found yeah there was a bit of a lull because i was reading the chapters and you read a chapter and it's picking up immediately after the last chapter and if you can't remember every line of what happened in the last chapter it's harder to remember where you were so i was finding that each time i pick up the book i'd have to read the previous chapter or at least half of the previous chapter to work out where i was whereas generally when you get stories which are like oh blah 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 is going here and then the next chapter is blah 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 arrives at blah 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 they are looking for this then they go find it this is more like blah 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 does this and then is about to do something and then the chapter ends and then the next chapter starts and then they continue doing that thing they were halfway through doing but you aren't reminded what it was it's kind of like that in in some ways i'm explaining it quite badly i think (laughs) um, please let me know please contact me and tell me if i'm explaining this element terribly but yeah i thought the book was really good i really did enjoy it i don't want to sound like i'm just you know being very negative over this i I really really did enjoy the book i thought it was fantastically written i think the humor in it is really good claudia gray has got a brilliant like i love all the high republic author stuff but i think claudia gray's got the best humor or at least she writes the funniest stuff it's not like a book where you're reading it and you're laughing out loud every five minutes because it's not that kind of book and the themes in it are quite heavy 
But Claudia Gray, she did it in Into the Dark, and she's done it in her other books as well. That I've read all her Star Wars books, and she did it in this, where you just get the odd line of dialogue that's just quite funny. It makes you smirk while you're reading it, or maybe a little bit of a giggle and things, and they're just really nice moments that break the tension, and that is what Claudia Gray is excellent at. She's brilliant at writing characters, and she's brilliant at little nods of humour, which I think works really, really well in Star Wars, because although I love my Star Wars to be dark and brooding and intense stuff going on, especially the original trilogy, it has so many little moments of humor it's not laugh out loud funny it's not like a joke you know last jedi kind of has more jokey humor and things which is what ryan johnson does quite well in a lot of ways doesn't always land in last jedi but i appreciate the effort but in star wars in the original trilogy especially it's more just little moments you know there's a little line of dialogue that a character says something kind of funny or some character gives another character a certain look like han solo is very much written as a humorous character in certain elements he's got a lot of funny things to say and 3po and r2d2 have a lot of little funny interactions but there's not like an explicit joke or slapsticky comedy it's just humorous interactions with the characters and that's what claudia gray does incredibly well and there's certain characters that i'll mention in the next part of this review which work really well in that so the book structure has got the humor it's very insular it happens over a very short space of time it's very intense and when you're reading certain parts it is very fast paced and you can really feel that and i think she does that incredibly well there's just the character journeys in this there's one character specific who has such an interesting journey and they became one of my favorite characters in this they were already one of my favorite characters especially from the rising storm like the jedi i was like yeah that's a character in rising storm i was like oh this is a character that's quite interesting and then this book i was like oh yeah this is this is this is my jam this is one of my favorite characters and i love it and i love how it intertwines with the high republic comics as well if you've read the high republic comics especially the last one you'll know that it ends with a certain character landing on a certain planet what i really liked about this book is that you get a moment where you see that character doing that thing from their perspective but then a few chapters on or quite a few chapters on you then get what happened afterwards so you do get like an epilogue to the high republic comics which works really well and i really liked that element of it as well but that's going to be it for my spoiler free stuff where i'm going to either constantly repeat myself or start spoiling things so this is your warning of minor spoilers so now i'm going to talk about some of the characters lightly i'm going to talk about the themes in the book itself as well and then after that i'm going to delve a bit more into the plot and stuff but i will give you guys plenty of warning before i go into the plot itself but this is now your warning if you want to go into the Fallen Star knowing absolutely nothing and you've managed to avoid all of the stuff online and all of that information, then kudos to you and you can go read the book. But this is now what I'm going to say. I'm going to basically, the, the big event that happens in this book, I'm going to say what that event is. But I'm also going to read out for you the blurb. And also, I think I'm going to read out the crawl as well. So you get a bit of information about that. And then I'll kind of jumpstart it from there. So um, here we go. I'll, uh, I'll start with the blurb. Time and again, the vicious raiders known as the Nile have sought to bring the golden age of the High Republic to a fiery end. Time and again, the High Republic has emerged battered and wary, but victorious thanks to its Jedi protectors, and there is no monument to their cause grander than the Starlight Beacon. Hanging like a jewel in the Outer Rim, the Beacon embodies the High Republic at the apex of its aspirations, a hub of culture and knowledge, a bright torch against the darkness of the unknown, and an extended hand of welcome to the farthest reaches of the galaxy. As survivors and refugees flee the Nile's attacks, the Beacon and its crew stand ready to shelter and heal. The grateful knights and padawans of the Jedi Order stationed there finally have a chance to recover from the pains of their injuries and the grief of their losses. Following the death of Loden Greatstorm, Belzetafar must now take up his master's mantle. Elzar Man is rebuilding his connection to the light even as his rage towards the Nile and his forbidden feelings for Avar Chris simmer. 
Elzar's escorts back to the beacon, the mismatched found family of the vessel, are enjoying a quick opportunity to kick up their feet on the finest space station in the known galaxy. Those of them who have feet, anyway. But the storm they have thought has passed still rages. They are simply caught in its eye. Marcion Rowe, the true mastermind of the Nile, is preparing his most daring attack yet, one designed to snuff out the light of the Jedi. So that's the blurb, and that gives you the general gist of what the state of the galaxy is at the moment where this book is. So I think, all in all, from Light of the Jedi to this, it's between a year to a year and a half, there, thereabouts. Uh, Max has been like two years since Light of the Jedi, but, you know, with all Star Wars stuff, they give you like a general idea, but they don't like to give explicit dates, especially in the new canon. I'm going to tell you guys now what the event is, and the event in itself, which is on the cover of the 15th issue of the High Republic comics, is what this book is about. It is about a Nile attack on Starlight Beacon. So you can tell that by lots of different pieces, but that's the event in which I'm speaking of. Obviously, Light of the Jedi was the Great Emergences, or the Great Disaster, rather, that caused the Emergences. The Rising Storm was the Fair on Valo, the Republic Fair, being attacked, and this one is Starlight Beacon being attacked. And when I said about the story being quite insular, it's because pretty much all of it takes place on Starlight Beacon. So just before I get into some more in-depth thoughts on this book itself, primarily focusing around the characters and some of the themes, I thought I'd just read you guys the crawl, so the first thing that you read before getting into the book itself. So here it is. The tragic events of the Republic Fair have galvanised the galaxy. The Jedi and the Republic have gone on the offensive to stop the marauding Nile. With these vicious raiders all but defeated, Jedi Master Avar Chris has set her sights on Lorna D, the supposed Eye of the Nile, and has undertaken a mission to capture her once and for all. But unbeknownst to the Jedi, the true leader of the Nile, the insidious Marcion Rowe, is about to launch an attack on the Jedi and the Republic, on a scale not seen in centuries. If he succeeds, the Nile will be triumphant, and the light of the Jedi will go dark. Only the brave Jedi Knights of Starlight Beacon stand in his way, but even they may not be enough against Roe and the ancient enemy that's about to be unleashed. So the crawl mentioned Avar Chris. Now she is one of the central characters of the High Republic. However, she features primarily in Kevin Scott's 15 issue comics published under Marvel. So if you want to find out the information about her and what she got up to and how the search for Lorna D kind of ended and things, you can either read the comics. So as I said, there are 15 of them. There are Marvel Unlimited and a few other places as well. I obviously have the physical copies because I love them. But if you don't have the time for that and you want just a, an abridged version of the plot details and those sort of things make sure you check out prior episodes of star wars comics in canon if you're on youtube you can check out the high republic playlist and they'll be in there whereas if you're on a podcast app listening on the feed of comics in motion then just check out episodes 84 88 and 92 so now I'm just going to go through some of the characters that pop up. I'm not going to do any major spoilers of what does or doesn't happen to any of these characters. I'm just going to give you guys bits and pieces of information about them in the really spoilery part of the review right at the end. I'll give a bit more information on certain ones. I don't want to spoil the whole book, but I do want to give you guys enough information. But... One of the main characters is Bel Zetifar. Now, he's been a central character for all three of the main adult novels. He was the Padawan of Jedi Master Loden Greatstorm, and he is now the Padawan of Master Indira Stokes. Now, there's a few characters on the cover of The Fallen Star. You should be able to see these on social media, or you can just Google The Fallen Star by Claudia Gray. So I just want to list through the characters that are on the cover, so anyone who's seeing it, you get to see those things. Because for me personally, I'm quite a visual person, so I find that normally when I read these books, especially when there's new characters, I quite like looking at the concept art for the High Republic to get a general gist of what the characters look like or at least an interpretation of what the characters look like especially the ones that aren't human because you know some of the weird and wonderful species in Star Wars is not always 
easy to remember what they look like or even what variations of them would look like. But on the book from left to right, you've got a character with pale skin and that is Orla Jereni. You've then got a character near the front with a yellow lightsaber ignited, that is Indira Stokes. Then behind Indira, you've got Bell Zetafar with his green lightsaber. Next to Bell, you've got Buri Yaga, who is also a Padawan, and he is the Padawan to Nib Asek. And then on the right-hand side, you have got Stellan Geos. So obviously all of these characters do appear in this book. As I said, Bell Zetafar is one of the main characters who goes through it. Buri Yaga has been in each book more than the prior one and I love Buriaga as a Wookiee Jedi and the way that Claudia Gray has written him and how his dialogue is is really really well done because instead of it being you know quotation marks and then random letters to signify like a Wookiee growl or Shri Wook to be more specific and then having a character kind of react to that which is what happens in the comics quite a lot and it does work especially with some of the Han Solo and Chewie back and forths but in this it's more so written in a way where it's like Buriaga then said that Bell should do this and then you've got Bell's dialogue saying, oh yeah, Barry, that's a good idea. Did, you know what I mean? It's that kind of thing rather than just being, having almost wasted page space of having the sound that the Wookiee makes instead of what they're actually saying. So I really liked that addition and because Buriaga is quite a central character to this book particularly and he shares a lot of page time, like when you say screen time, page time, I guess, with Belzettafar. The majority of this book, they are together and their interactions are brilliant. They're both very intelligent characters. I really like them as Padawans and seeing them grow over the three books has been really, really intriguing and something I've thoroughly enjoyed. So you've got Orla Jereni, who I mentioned before. She is white-skinned, as in pale white, I think chalk white, and she has a double-bladed white lightsaber as well. Now, she is a wayseeker. She was in Into the Dark, which is Claudia Gray's first novel in The High Republic, and she also appears in The High Republic comics a little bit. She's in like two or three issues, and she interacts with Keeve Trennis. Now, because she's a wayseeker, she basically just goes where the Force wills her. She isn't kept in touch with the Jedi's business, the Order, or even really what's going on with the galaxy. She just kind of goes off on her own and figures her way around the galaxy and then obviously she has friends in the Jedi Order and she does interact with them and especially when things like this happen where she is needed she will then interact with them and help where she can and she interacts with Elzar Man in this book quite a lot which I'm going to get into a little bit um, afterwards but I'm going to just put that to the side at the moment. So then you've got Stellan Geos. So Stellan Geos, Elzar Man, and Avar Chris are like the three main Jedi of these three books. In a sense that the three of them were friends since they were, I think, younglings and definitely Padawans. There's some history there that is friendship and some feelings that is a bit more than friendship. They all have nicknames for each other, but they're all very powerful Jedi masters that have got a huge amount of respect from their peers. And their interactions over the trilogy of books has been very interesting to watch, especially because Stellan Geos has become a Jedi Council member. So he is a lot more to the book, to the rules, whereas Elzar Man is a bit more of a wild card, shall we say. He likes to experiment with the Force a bit more. He has got a rebellious streak against authority. And then Avar Chris is somewhat more aligned with Stellan Geos, but as the books go on, she starts to kind of side more so with Elzar Man, less following orders, more so going on her own way and doing her own thing. And that causes some friction between her and Stellan Geos. And there's a really interesting... I can't remember if it's a chapter or just a few pages in this book, which mirrors some of the pages in the High Republic comics, because there's a moment where Avar, Chris, and Stellan Geos interact. And in the book, you get it from Stellan's perspective, whereas in the comics, you get it from Avar's perspective. So when I was reading the comics and reading The Fallen Star together, it really, really worked well, and I really, really enjoyed that part. And one fun thing about Stellan Geos is that he sees the Force as stars, and he sees living beings as constellations. 
Now, every member of the Jedi Order sees the Force in different ways. I believe Elzar Man sees it as an ocean, which is probably something that I'd say I connect with probably the most. You've got other characters that see it as fire. You've got characters who see it as like gears and mechanical things. Avar sees everything as like songs and music. And it's just, I, I could read an entire book just listing every Jedi in the history of the High Republic and the Skywalker Saga and just explaining how they perceive the Force. It, it's one of the most ingenious elements of Star Wars that I'd never even considered was a possibility. And it's one of the things I love the most about the High Republic. It's just, I don't know what it is about it. I just love that interpretation. I love the Force. It's my favorite thing about Star Wars. And any interpretations of the Force, any new Force powers, any beings that can use the Force unexpectedly, which I will get onto as well later on, it's just something that I really think was not quite lacking for the Skywalker Saga necessarily, but more so in the expanded contents in some of the comics and some of the books. For me, there wasn't quite enough going into the Force and going into the minutiae of that. I'd say one of the best examples to find out information about the Force is actually in the Clone Wars. It's season six. I, I think it's the last four episodes and it's the Yoda arc where he goes on a journey. He meets some Force beings. He speaks with Qui-Gon. He finds out how to be a Force ghost. All those things. It's really, really interesting. But yeah, I think the High Republic does it in such an incredible way. And Selen Geos at this time is kind of like the poster child, especially after what happened on Valo, which happened in The Rising Storm. Stellan is just he's so following the rules of the order and he does actually somewhat struggle with this more towards the end of the book he kind of has a realization that he's only really been doing what the orders ever told him to do and he kind of questions whether or not he's even a good person necessarily because he's just been doing what people have told him to do he doesn't really have agency which is a really interesting idea and one of the themes that comes across in this book quite a lot is the jedi their power but also duty and these elements of an individual do not define who that individual is because I think with the prequel era Jedi especially, a lot of it is you are a Jedi and that's your personality in essence. There's a bit of, there's some Jedi that have slightly different opinions on that. You know, Quinlan Voss is like a maverick. He's someone who does uh, brush a lot of Jedi the wrong way, including Obi-Wan. But he's a very interesting character, but he still follows the rules quite a lot. Quinlan Voss is probably the character that follows the rules the least in the prequel era Jedi. But the rest of them are very much to the book. And that's one of the reasons that the Jedi of the prequel era fell. And that's what the High Republic is meant to show is how they went from the more sort of loose, chilled out Jedi to the more dogmatic, specific Jedi, and how that kind of changes so many elements of how they interact with the wider galaxy. And the element of duty is something that I think transcends Star Wars because everyone has some degree of duty, whether or not it's duty to your family, to your job, to your friends, any elements of that. Obviously, duty is important, especially if you have children, then I would say that your children should be the number one priority for you. Your duty is to provide for them, to care for them and things. But excluding children, which is quite a more cemented, more obvious thing, thinking about job, it's, it's really something that always I'm always tussling with. I'm always thinking you know, how much time should I be investing into my career, how much into podcasting, how much into just other elements of my life, trying to find that balance of, you know, living and having to survive, which is why I have a job to make money, but doing the things I'm passionate about, like this podcast and, you know, my other show, Genuine Chit Chat, and interacting with other podcasters and things. There's so many different levels to what duty could connect to, and I think that the themes within this book, Claudia Gray puts across expertly. It's a really, really good insight into that, and it really shows what one can perceive when they, you know, what, what lessons one can learn from Star Wars, because Star Wars teaches a whole lot of lessons, you know, be it the original trilogy, the prequels any of those things or any book there's always like a moral story or fiber you know they comes from mythology and that's what mythology is just meant for it's meant to tell stories to teach lessons that's in essence what it's for 
and Star Wars is just a modern mythology framed in a way that it's pure fiction when obviously I'm not saying the Force and the Jedi aren't fictional but the mythological side of storytelling is slightly different to the purely fictitious in some ways. I'm kind of rambling here on that element and I don't want to get in a rabbit hole of mythology uh, but I've spoken about that I think with my friend Ben on Star Wars Timeline so if you want to find out more about those things go and check out Star Wars Timeline uh, the YouTube channel because yeah there's lots of uh, interesting conversations about mythology some with me some without so you know check that out. So aside from those characters, you've got Markion Rowe, who's obviously a central character. He was mentioned in The Crawl. He is the Eye of the Nile. He's been in all of the High Republic books. He has been, well, all the High Republic adult books. He's not really been in the High Republic main run, the comic run by Marvel written by Kevin Scott. He's not been in that very much, but in the High Republic Adventures comics, for the first half of them, he was featured in it a lot. He interacted with a character called Crix. So I've, I've uh, tackled that on Star Wars Comics and Canon as well. So make sure you check those out. Those were by IDW Publishing. So they're technically okay for all ages, but I still think regardless of that, they are brilliant. You know, don't let the fact that they are, vi- that they are appropriate for all ages dissuade you from purchasing them or reading them because they are excellent. They've got incredible artwork and brilliant stories. And Marky on Row is in it quite a lot. And at least you kind of get to see what happens when Marky on Row's plans all like everything he's been building towards that's basically what this trilogy of books is about on the flip side you get to see who the nile are and how they interact with each other behind the scenes but also how markion row is using the nile for his own gain or how he perceives people and things there's the two-part comic which is eye of the storm which is written by charles saul i am going to be tackling that very soon uh i don't know if i'm going to do it next week i haven't thought that far ahead specifically but i'm going to be doing the high republic adventures finale the eye of the storm um which is set after fallen star and some other High Republic content to kind of wrap up phase one. But in that, in the first issue, you actually get to see from Mark Yonro's perspective and how he sees people. And I'm not going to go into it here, but it's just a very intriguing look. He's a, he's a very interesting character and definitely a very interesting antagonist. And I'm interested to see where he goes from this book. But, you know, I'll get into that later on in the review. But it shows of his, you know, planning. It shows that he's got this assistant. It shows that he's been manipulative. He just seemingly sees people as tools he has a very similar mindset to what palpatine does with people where everyone is just a tool for you to use and once they've ceased being useful you just get rid of them and that's what markion row is all about and that's why the plan that he has in this how it works so well and how so many of his attacks on the republic have worked so well so he's a brilliant villain um i think that all the high republic authors kind of thought about him but i know that charles saul I feel like he said somewhere that he was either the creator of Marky on Row or that he's had a huge amount of uh, influence in the Marky on Row. Obviously, he wrote Light of the Jedi, which is when Marky on Row first appeared, and he's writing Eye of the Storm, which is kind of like the origin story of Marky on Row. I've just said his name so many times. But um, he's a really, really good antagonist, and in this, I think he gets the most amount of page time, I believe. You do get quite a bit of it in the Tempest Runner audio drama by Kevin Scott that centers around Lorna D, and I would recommend that as well if you want to find out about Marky on Row. But the main things would be these three books, the High Republic Adventures comics, Tempest Runner, and then the Eye of the Storm comics. So the next main character is probably the last of the the main characters. Then I'll get onto a couple of the side characters. You've got Elzar Mann, and he's been struggling with the dark side. And I'll go into a little bit more about him slightly later, but he's obviously the other part of the three, him, Avar Chris, and Stellan Geos. And he is probably my favorite character in the High Republic, I think. I very much enjoy it when you have characters who struggle. You know, one of the reasons I've always had an issue with Superman, and granted, I've not read many Superman comics, so this is purely on Superman as a character portrayed in movies and the TV show and things, is he's just infallible. He's, he's just this unbelievably, perfectly good 
person and that's that now i know captain america does have that element to him as well but for me captain america has because he's not like essentially a god he has a lot more weight to him he can be killed by a gunshot and because of what happens with captain america in civil war he has a bit more of that rebellious streak so he's not just a goody goody who follows the rules and also is infallible whereas superman follows the rules and also is infallible whereas Elzar man in this for me he's much more complex because no one is all good and no one is all bad i mean well i say no one is all bad there are probably people out there who are purely bad i don't know about the word term evil i'm not going to get into good and evil here but you know with intent there are characters in this who struggle with being good there's characters in this that actually struggle with being bad like nan there's an interesting character but Elzar Man is someone who's trying to be good, but keeps being pulled to the dark side for one reason or another. He first kind of tangles with it in The Rising Storm, and him doing that saved lots of people's lives. So it's that kind of slope element of it. You know, you see it with Anakin in the Clone Wars series, where he keeps doing or using dark side abilities, and then he gets a positive, in air quotes, light side outcome. You know, he ends up, I think, force choking and like torturing Poggle the Lesser, and he gets information out which saves hundreds of people's lives. Well, obviously, that's the idea of the ends justify the means, where you do something bad, but it's a net good, so it's okay. And that's something which I don't think that the prequels um, really tackled that well. I think the Clone Wars did a very good job of showing the balance there. But one criticism that I understand from, especially Revenge of the Sith, is it just seems like Anakin's all good and then suddenly he's bad. You know, you get a bit of it in Attack of the Clones where he kills the Tusken Raiders, but aside from that, there's not really that much. Whereas I think Elzar Man is probably meant to be like a vague parallel to him i know that some of the high republic authors have kind of mentioned that it's meant to show that if someone did tangle with the dark side in the high republic era they would have so much more of a support system they would be able to bring themselves out of it rather than just plummeting to the dark side and doing what anakin did so i really really like elzar man with that and the start of this book like the first couple of chapters is him on an ocean world with orla jereni and he's trying to learn to kind of rebuild his connection to the force he's closed himself off from the force because he's too scared of using dark side abilities and hurting people and doing the wrong thing so he completely closes himself off from the force and then he learns from orla to connect himself in a much more uh, reduced way in a more controlled way but also realizing that you know he has this perception of the force like an ocean and there's some very interesting meditative techniques that he uses or that Orla lets him use where he's like doing a handstand as the tide comes in on this ocean planet and he has to learn that he can't force the ocean or the tide to do anything he has to go with it for it to help otherwise it will get you in essence like that's a very it's over several chapters and it's very expertly written it's one of my favorite parts if not my favorite part of the whole book but it's just so well done. I really, really appreciate a character that is struggling. Because although I've never done anything inherently evil or bad, you know, there are moments where you do something, either you argue with someone you care about or you say something kind of dickish uh, at work or anything like that. And then afterwards, you're kind of thinking to yourself, was that the right thing to do? Am I a good person? Those sorts of thoughts come to your mind. And obviously, most of the time, if you are contemplating whether or not you are a good person, you probably are a good person because generally speaking, if you're not a very good person, you wouldn't have the introspection to even consider whether whether or not what you were doing is right or wrong in general you know very broad strokes here but yeah i very much connect with characters like that and elza man is definitely one of those characters and yeah i just any time he's in it i really like reading about it and having a jedi who is 
struggling with their connection to the force and is trying to find balance while there's this big event that's going on you know i mentioned earlier starlight beacon it gets attacked by the nile while he's trying to deal with that while also having his own inner turmoil which he's only just literally gone back from a retreat basically being like okay i think i can take it easy now and figure out who i am and what to do he then gets thrown in the deep end at this you know critical emergency situation and seeing how he handles that is very interesting and i i just really like it him and his interactions with Stellan Gior in particular really balance him and Stella now as characters and I love those interactions and that's something that Claudia Gray does expertly she's very very good with characters and dialogue and how they interact so that leads us onto some of the side characters so you've got Coley Lin who is just I wrote, I wrote down here he is an asshat because uh, I try not to swear on my Star Wars show uh, I would call him many other things uh, but I don't want to spoil this being one of the only explicit Star Wars podcasts that I do he is just an awful person he is untrustworthy he's a liar he's a backstabber and he's just an unpleasant person so I thought I'd throw that in there that I hate him and kudos to Claudia Gray for introducing me to a character within a few chapters and I immediately hate them the way that Claudia writes it especially when there's certain moments from his perspective and how he sees himself against others it really cements the fact that you don't like him but some of the characters that really interact with Coley are three of my other favorite characters from the high republic era which i bow down to uh, claudia gray because i think she somewhat created these characters and you've got afi hollow leox gyasi and geode so they were introduced in into the dark they were also in the out of the shadows book which is the last book review that i did and Obviously, they're in this book now. So they've kind of, they went from young adult to another young adult to main adult. So I really like the fact they're, you know, continuing trajectory and then they were in the three books because I really, really enjoy reading them. You know, Affy is just a good, interesting character, uh, a young woman trying to find her place in the universe. You've got Leox, who is just amazing. He's funny. He's good hearted. He often smokes a bit of spice. So I think the, the on the nose thing there is he's basically the equivalent of like a stoner. So he's, he's a bit of a stoner in certain ways, but he's very switched on. He's very intelligent, but he's quite chill with a lot of stuff. He's quite lax in certain elements. But when emergency situations occur, he is someone you can heavily rely on and depend on, which makes him such a compelling character. And then you get Geode. So Geode is a Vintian, so he's basically just a big rock, and he's in the High Republic comics as well. In fact, Leox, Affy, and Geode are all in uh, one arc of the High Republic Adventures comics uh, by IDW. I believe I tackled them uh, a few episodes ago. It was the second volume of High Republic Adventures that they're in, and I just love seeing them in all ways. Geode being basically a giant rock, and people don't even know if he's really alive or if he even does anything. And when you are first introduced to him, especially in Into the Dark, you are thinking that you're like, is is he alive? Is he is he doing anything? And and then once you realize he is and you understand him and the way Claudia Gray writes him once again is so well done. He has such a personality for basically a rock who has no dialogue. The, the way she does it, it, it's just excellent. And it's very there's a lot of comedy to it as well, especially when you get characters who don't understand. You get in the Higher Public Adventures comics, there's a point where like pirates try and take over the ship and then one of them turns around and is like, how did that rock get there? Where, where did it come from? <laughs> you know, and it's, it's that humour that characters not knowing who or what Vintians are, it, it just adds so much. I love Geode and I think Geode Geode was one of those characters that a lot of the High Republic authors kind of knew when they were creating the High Republic, or the High Republic architects, I should say. You know, Charles Saul, Cavan uh, Scott, Claudia Gray, Justina Ireland, and Daniel Jose Older are the primary ones. And I think it's Michael Siglane as well. He was He's not an explicit writer, but I think he was one of the story group editors that helped put it all together. A lot of them were saying, like, when they were writing Geode, they would really hope a lot of fans would respond to him, but you never really know. There's certain characters that fans don't respond to as much, which you thought they would respond to, and vice versa. And Geode is, is one of the highlights. You know, I, I love Geo so much. He's such a cool character. 
And then the only other side characters that I think are worth mentioning in this review is Nan and Chansey Yarrow. So Nan appears first in Into the Dark. She is a Nile character. You don't know she's Nile to right at the end. She has interactions with Reese Silas. And then she also appears again in Out of the Shadows. This works really well, my Out of the Shadows being the last review, because this book heavily connects Into the Dark and Out of the Shadows. But the other character is Chansey Yarrow. So she is the mother of the character in Out of the Shadows, the, the main character. And that character's name is Sylvester Yarrow, and she's on the cover of Out of the Shadows, along with Vanessa Rowe and also Wreath Silas, who neither of those appear in this book. But Chauncey Yarrow is someone who doesn't work for the Nile. She works for basically herself and has done work for the Nile for her own gain. Nan, however, you well, was a Nile, and then she somewhat kind of defected to work with Chauncey Yarrow. And in this whole book, she is constantly fighting with herself, trying to work out whether or not she wants to be with the Nile or if she wants to be her own person. She wants to go in the galaxy with Chauncey after what it is they're doing is done or where she wants to fall. So she is kind of the flip side. She is not like Elzar, who's someone who's good, who is pulling to the darkness but is trying to keep themselves light she is someone who's out for herself she just doesn't really care morally she's willing to kill people and do this and do that but she's just trying to work out what she even really wants there's parts of her that want to just bow down to marky on row and there's other parts of her that want to run away and be her own person and i just think her character's written really well and her interaction with the chancy works really well too so as I sort of wrap up this midway review, as in the slight spoilers, you know, I've spoken about some of the characters and the themes and highlighted some of the journeys and whatnot. There's a few other themes I just wanted to mention, and one of which is, you know, I already mentioned the Jedi and power and duty doesn't define who you are. I've also got written down that one needs to learn to let go when necessary while simultaneously not give up at the wrong moments. So really just have faith in yourself. You know, there's certain times where you try and try and try for something and it just isn't working clearly. So it's time to leave it and go do something else in essence. While simultaneously, there are times where if you're being too hard on yourself and you can't succeed, if you just give yourself that final push, you can really overcome a lot. So I like that. Another element is friendship and found family, as well as the hollow nature of selfishness. That's highlighted in Coley Lin, as the character I said earlier that I dislike hugely and they are like a nemesis of Leox, Gaiassi and the Vessel crew. So I really like that element. You know, friendship and found family is a massive theme in pretty much all of Star Wars and so it's very important to incredible amount of individuals, whether or not you have a positive relationship with your uh, blood-related family or your adoptive family or anything like that, people still know that your friends are basically your family that you choose to surround yourself with and it needs to be noted that even whether they're family who are related to you by blood or otherwise, or even if they're friends of yours, if they are no longer bringing benefit to you or they're being mean to you and there's something that they are like causing more damage to your life, you don't have to have them in your life. There's there's no reason for that. So I think that's an element of Star Wars that I really, really appreciate. And then another element is sort of unity, but this is more unity of a nation, of a religion, of a republic. It's people specifically. The importance of, although as an individual you may not seem powerful, but when you have groups of people getting together and working together, you can achieve incredible feats, be it in like a theoretical or metaphysical way, you know, just being good, supporting people, those sort of things, like an emotional way, or actually physically saying, we're going to achieve this thing. We're going to build something or we're going to repair something. You know, there's there's varying degrees of what unity and achievement can be. And I think this really works because in this story, there is a system nearby to where Starlight Beacon gets attacked and they want to help Starlight. Now, Starlight is nearby. The system is called Eriam, E-I-R. R-A-M, Iram. Starlight being near Iram, 
it's trying to help them it's doing relief efforts and then when the nile attack then it kind of the roles flip in a sense so iram then can choose to help starlight and there's a lot of conversations that the two queens of aram well the queen and the queen regent i think it's called basically there's the queen who's elected in the standard means and then a woman who married the queen who becomes i think it's the queen regent something like that someone who has similar power to the queen but not quite as much and you get these two characters who were in Into the Dark once again because Orla Jereni and Master Comac Vitus, they have flashbacks, which is an interaction with Queen Thandeka, I think her name is off the top of my head. And she is a character who is, well, she's the queen of Iram. And therefore, when Starlight is in crisis and there's certain elements and certain decisions that have to be made, you've got Thandeka and her partner trying to work out what the best thing to do is and whether or not it's best to do this for this people or for those people and what a good leader needs to do and i think that's just another element of this book that i really appreciate another theme that's very important which is something that you know in star wars the politics of star wars is quite a hot topic because there's a lot of politics in all star wars including the original trilogy but obviously in the prequels they are very heavy-handed with it and then the sequels they're very light-handed with it and they don't really mention it very much so it's this kind of weird thing across the three trilogies of varying degrees of politics being spoken about and i think that the way it is written in the fallen star is just very well put together it doesn't feel heavy-handed there's not loads and loads of politics but there's a sprinkling of it and there's intrigue into it which is i think really what the original trilogy had you have those conversations you have those moments where they talk about the current political state of the galaxy without you know having a senate meeting and listening to people talk for like 10 minutes about trade disputes you know there is there are definitely reasons why the prequels are quite hotly criticized for their uh, portrayal of politics but this book does not have any of that it just has what i think is a quintessential political discussions in this and i uh, i really appreciate it so now the last part of the middle review is these are slightly more spoilery so this kind of bleeds into my final review so if everything i've said is all you want to know about the book then you know pause this go read the book or listen to the audiobook it's brilliant and then come back and listen to the last part but this is now going to be me primarily talking about some of the plot information and more hot spoilery parts but the reason i say this is kind of in between them somewhat is because this is just three tidbits of information that i picked up that i wrote that i think is quite interesting uh that i enjoyed picking up when reading this so one of them is something i already mentioned earlier which is with the character orla jereni and that is that way seekers are kept out of jedi and council business so you know about way seekers a little bit i think in into the dark when orla jereni is introduced she is introduced as a way seeker and you don't really know that much about them just they kind of get to do their own thing and this book it goes into more detail of what way seekers can actually do and you get a piece of that puzzle in the high republic comics that orla jereni appears in as well i think she appears in issues somewhere between 9 and 12 i th- i think it's 10 and 11 but I'm, i might be wrong there or maybe 9 and 10 uh, i'm doing it off the top of my head that element of it but it just it was intriguing to hear that way seekers are not only sort of going around doing their own thing but they're actually kept at arm's length of jedi business and orla and stellan geos have some history uh not romantic history or anything their friendship history but they had like a a falling out in some ways because Stellan doesn't really like Wayseekers very much and Orla doesn't really like the council very much. So you do get some interactions between them that I really like and you get to find out more about Wayseekers because they're a, a sect of the Jedi Order that I'd be very intrigued to hear more about. 
Another part is the triangle between Avar Kress, Elzar Man, and Stellan Geos. And we already know that Elzar Man has some feelings to Avar Kress because it is mentioned in The Rising Storm. And then we know to some degree that Avar Kress, they had something between them. There was something seemingly when they were Padawans or something along those lines that there was potentially something physical between them because Elzar Man has like a flashback, a thought. I think I'm pretty certain it's in The Rising Storm. It might be in this book, um, but I think it's Rising Storm, where he has some sort of flash and he remembers kind of opening his eyes and laying in a bed with Avar Chris. And I think they're holding hands when this happens. So it alludes to, you know, a physical relationship there in some degree. But one of the reasons I'm mentioning it here is because there's a moment where Avar does think about Elzar Man, but she tries to dismiss these thoughts. It's in the middle of her dealing with a crisis and she can't really think about Elzar Man, but he kind of seeps into her mind. And that's one of the first times you really get an idea that Avar is still thinking about him in that way today. In prior times with Avar, you just get the impression that she's completely over it and it's just Elzar who's kind of holding on to this relationship. We're still not fully sure of what it actually was. And so I really like the fact that you just, it's only a line or two where you just get the knowledge that Avar still thinks about Elzar a little bit. I really like. And the other little tidbit is linking in with what I've just said, which is uh, Padawans are known to fall around with each other. So without getting into any explicit detail, you know, when people... Uh, when people have a physical relationship, shall we say, you know, in a sexual sense, when that happens, it happens in the Jedi Order. So Padawans were known to have that with each other. And most of the people, especially the masters, pretended not to notice usually because it's somewhat expected at that age, Padawans, when you're teenagers and things. But then if it goes too far, if people become too entangled, then normally what would happen is that a Padawan gets taken away on a long mission. And then when the Padawan comes back, the two Padawans who are somewhat entangled are normally just over it and and then everything goes back to normal. And obviously, when they do that, they generally gain some perspective and things, and they grow up. So that was quite an interesting part that I enjoyed, because in the prequels, you're basically told that any relationship at all is bad, and that's one of the reasons that Anakin falls to the dark side. Whereas in this, it shows that, no, they knew it happened. They knew teenagers are going to fall around, even if you're in like this religion. It's highly and strongly alluded to that you have to be celibate in the Jedi Order. They don't explicitly say that, but from the interaction with certain characters, it's pretty obvious that's the case. Especially when you get a character like Rael Avaros, who I absolutely love. He's a character in the Master and Apprentice book by Claudia Gray, and he has sex. And I really like that Claudia Gray does actually tackle matters that are of a sexual nature in Star Wars without it being gratuitous and unnecessary. But sex is a large part of human interaction in for most people's lives. You know, when you become an adult, especially when you want to have a relationship with someone, and obviously when you want to have children, that is a part of it. And although I don't want there to be loads of sex in Star Wars, it's nice to see when it is just lightly alluded to or when you get a little bit of information about it of how the Jedi at least in the High Republic era tackled that element especially when you have teenagers who are just (laughs) full of hormones and anyone who's been a teenager which I assume is pretty much everyone who's listening and anyone who has kids who are teenagers uh, you know how much of a handful they can be uh, when that starts to occur. So that's about going to do it for my middle part review. And now I'm going to get into the full spoiler review of this part. I'm not going to speak too much here because I've kind of said everything I think about the book. There's just 
really, I'm going to talk about the ending a little bit uh, and then some of the characters who did not make it. So this is your spoiler warning. I would recommend that if you've listened to all the other stuff I've done, that's fine. You can still read Fallen Star. I will not spoil everything, but I will say that you listening to this next part is probably going to take away a fair amount from your enjoyment of Fallen Star if you haven't already embarked on that. So you get certain characters that pop up and die, which is quite upsetting to me. Uh, one of them is Orla Jereni dying, and that is probably one of the worst parts because she was such an intriguing character to me. I absolutely loved her. You got introduced to a new character called Reginald Cole, who I really liked, and I thought he was really cool, and he was a Jedi with a sense of humor, and then within a few chapters again introduced to him, he's dead, which was very upsetting to me as well. I know obviously in this, it was certain characters were going to die. There was going to be a lot of them uh, that die and some are going to be major characters some are going to be minor characters you get the creature going around which was the leveler which is this force sensitive being that well it's not force sensitive it seemingly is the opposite of that it's kind of like there's these creatures in legends i think in the air to the empire trilogy that i think george lucas didn't like very much uh century or something i can't remember the exact names because i'm not as well into legends as everyone else <laughs> seems to be aside from me i'm trying i've read plagueis and shatterpoint i'm reading the darth bane trilogy now i'm going to read Air to the empire soon as well and read some other comics but there's this creature that doesn't have you can't detect them in the force and they can even release out like a force bubble so that you can't use the force around them and things like that and these creatures the levelers are kind of a level up from that they're these ancient beings that suck the life out and the force energy out of force users and when you get characters like skier interact with them which happens in the high republic comics he has lost his connection to the force so he is relatively unaffected by the levelers and this is one of the reasons why elzar man works so well in this book because he has to navigate starlight beacon under attack both by the nile as like you know explosive devices and trying to destroy it but also with the levelers on there which are like sapping force energy either directly from people and killing them or near killing them or just them being on board the beacon it is hugely affecting the Jedi's abilities to connect with the Force and think clearly. There's a moment where Belzettafar, he leaves Starlight Beacon and he immediately feels like all his Force energies come back and he was like, oh, I didn't even realise how much I was being sapped my Force energy until I got off, which is something that's really interesting. I, I like that concept. I hope they didn't use the levelers necessarily too much. I think when you saw them in the comics, some of the visuals of it was absolutely stunning stunning uh, i really recommend if anyone just can pick up high republic number 15 i think it was you just get to see what they kind of look like and what they do to people in that it is intense you know trying to explain that i can imagine it was really difficult for the comic book artist to kind of put pen to paper to show what that would look like because they're almost just nightmare fuel and they seem to depend they seem to differ depending on who is affected by the levelers but so many characters get killed i'm not going to just list them all but there is a major character that gets killed uh, right near the end and when i spoke to kevin scott he said that there was a character that they weren't actually going to kill initially but then they changed their mind and they decided to kill them at the end of this and so this is the major spoiler and that is that stella geos dies and that was something which I don't know how I feel about that because I really, really liked the interactions between Avar, Elzar and Stellan. I really liked that. And it's sad to see a character like that go, especially when he starts to kind of find himself towards the end. But, you know, you can't have stories that stakes. We got Loden Greatstorm, who's one of the coolest Jedi ever, immediately get killed. <laughs> well, not immediately. Who dies, you know, in Rising Storm, but he gets taken away from us far too soon. But then that's the brilliance of a good storyteller. They introduce you to a character who's brilliant, and then they take him away from you, and it's very sad. So there are a bunch of other characters that kind of meet their end or don't meet their end. I'm not going to spoil or go through them all. 
But I think the way the book ended, it was really good. You know, when you find out partly through the book that parts of Starlight split off and that's when the comics kind of end because you see Avar Chris is in one part of Starlight Beacon and then it splits and you then see the rest of Starlight Beacon like what happens to that and you see how the, the Queen Thandenka, Thandeka on Iram, they have the option to shoot down Starlight Beacon and kill everyone on board but save their people and Selangio sacrifice himself to make sure that the crashing of Starlight Beacon doesn't hit a main city, it goes into the water and then from that it means that the casualty levels are reduced a huge, huge amount. I think it went from like thousands of people potentially dying to like a dozen. I think that's what one of the droids said. But it did give the book a lot more weight. There's a lot of people that died. And I think that when you get to phase three of the High Republic, you know, obviously you've got phase two coming up, which is going to be going back 150 years. And then phase three is going to be set after this phase one. We're going to see, hopefully it's going to be a bit of a time jump. And then we're going to see like how certain characters interact with each other after this, because the Nile are still out there. Markion Rowe ends the book by announcing himself and telling everyone that he's responsible for everything the Nile have done over the three books. And you just think, what's he? What's up next? What are the Jedi? How are they going to interact? What's going to make the Jedi become so much more dogmatic as you see them in the Skywalker saga? What is Elzar man? Is he going to leave the Jedi Order? Is he going to fall more into the dark side? How is it that what the Nile have done are going to affect people? Because Avar in the comics was really affected. She was almost, she kind of uh, danced with the dark side a little bit as well. She almost kills uh, Lorna D when she's unarmed, which for me, I would have killed her 100%. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm obviously not a Jedi. I have the dark side or the light side powers and stuff. But if there's a war criminal, I, I would have killed her. <laughs> so, you know, take that with what you will. I'm not necessarily going to delve into any of my opinions on things like the death sentence, because that is a that's something I do not want to touch, because that is such a complicated issue. But in the realms of fiction, and when you see what a character like Lorna D has done, how many chances they've had, and what they do after not being killed, you then... For me, I was like, oh yeah, if you'd have killed them hindsight, this bad thing wouldn't have happened, sort of thing. But I'm just intrigued to see how the events of this are going to affect the Jedi going forward and how it's going to change the galaxy. And also what the Nile are going to do. Like, I assume the levelers are going to be quite a big part of it. Even though I don't necessarily want them to be a huge part of it, I feel like they are necessary for Marky on Roe. I think he wants to like exterminate the Jedi. And I don't really see how he's going to do that very well without these leveler creatures. Hopefully it's given me some more cool, weird force artifacts I'm intrigued by. Uh, but we shall see about that. But, you know, there's other elements of this story that happen, but a lot of it is kind of Getting the vague gist is just the Nile bomb uh, Starlight Beacon from the inside. Then they let off these levelers that go around causing havoc to the Jedi. The Starlight Beacon splits in half. And one of the parts of it manages to kind of escape a bit and not crash. And the other half of it starts to crash, but bits and pieces are falling apart. And Stellan Geos nails our man. And Buriaga and Belzetafar are desperately trying to return power to certain parts of the Starlight and then help the people aboard, get people evacuated, all these different elements of things to try and reduce the casualty amount to as low as possible and trying to make sure that the nearby planet of Iriam isn't basically bombed by a giant space station because that would be cataclysmic. So I don't want to just go here and list off everything that happens to all of the characters. Like you've got Nan and Chansey Yarrow and how their kind of story unfolds as well as Buriaga and Bells. There's so many elements of it I really, really enjoy. But I also want to talk about the ending and Marquion Row and what it means for the future. Less so than just be like, okay guys, rub my hands together. Here's the whole plot of The Fallen Star because I don't really want to do that. 
So with that, I think it's probably quite a good place to end this and wrap it up. We're well over an hour now, so I try and keep these to around an hour because, you know, who, who wants to listen to someone talk about a book that probably takes you 10 hours to read but listen to an hour of someone talking about that? Uh, clearly, quite a lot of you do because these episodes I release are fairly popular. So thank you so much for listening to these. I do hugely appreciate it. But what have we got coming up then over the coming weeks? What's going on, really? Well, I'm going to be... Obviously, there's going to be another batch of the Poe Dameron comics I'm going to be tackling. Uh, I only have another two or three volumes of those to do, and then I've caught up with all of those. Uh, And then there's the other High Republic content. So I'm going to do, I think, High Republic Adventures, the final issues of that. Then there's also Trail of Shadows, which the end of that minor spoilers for uh the high republic adventures so i'm going to do that after that uh eye of the storm the two-part comic series i don't know when i'm going to do that i need to i've read the first one and i've got the second one but i didn't want to read the second one until i'd done the fallen starbook review because i get distracted so i'm going to read that and see how that goes obviously where it's only two comics although they're bigger comics it's slightly less work for me to release an episode so either i'm going to be lazy and basically choose it on a week that i'm really busy and then release that or i'm going to choose the optimum time to release that i'm not 100 sure so we've got those high republic pieces of content out then there's also going to be the edge of balance volume two that's coming out in may and then i'm going to do i think one episode just about both of those volumes of the edge of balance kind of put together so because i read uh, edge of balance part one and i did enjoy it but I think that I could probably do two of those in one episode. I may change my mind when I come down to it. We shall see. But I'm going to try and focus on the High Republic stuff so it's all kind of finished and done. Then I can focus on a lot of the Crimson Rain comics and some of the other miniseries that's coming out. We've got the Obi-Wan Kenobi comics that have started coming, or which are coming out soon. I think they come out around the time the Kenobi series comes out. We've got the Han Solo and Chewbacca comics. We've got the Halcyon Legacy miniseries. We've got, well, I said the, the Crimson Rain comics as well, which is like the main runs that are going on at the moment and then in october we're going to have the high republic phase two coming out which i'm very very excited for but i'll also make sure that over the coming weeks or slash months i'm going to do book reviews on mission to disaster and also midnight horizon which are the other two books in the third wave for the first phase of the high republic i haven't read them yet i don't even own them yet i obviously have been on holiday to malta and i've been very busy with me and megan are sorting out hopefully getting a house um obviously doing book reviews and podcasts and all these other things i haven't had full amount of time but as soon as payday comes around which is about a week after this podcast airs i'm then going to buy mission to disaster i'll do the review of that and then shortly after that i'll buy midnight horizon Uh, And then obviously in addition to that, we've got other Star Wars books coming out. We've got Brotherhood, we've got Padawan, we've got Shadows of the Sith. Uh, There's the Queens, uh, the third of the Queens trilogy, but I've not read Queen's Hope or Queen's Shadow. So I'm probably not really going to delve into that. It's not something that hugely intrigues me, but plenty of other books coming out that I may do reviews for those on here, but I may do reviews for them on my Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com slash genuine chit chat for as little as one pound a month, you can support the show. You can support all the books I buy, all the comics that I buy and all of those elements and all the time that I invest into that. But you don't just support the show. You also get hours and hours of additional content, some Star Wars related, some not Star Wars related. So I've been doing some Star Wars book reviews. I've done reviews for Shatterpoint and Darth Plagueis, which are both legend books. I've done it for A New Dawn, which is the prequel book to Star Wars Rebels. It shows how Hera Syndulla and Kanan Jarrus met. I did Last Shot, which is also by Daniel Jose Older. That's about Lando and Han about five or ten years after Return of the Jedi, I think it was. And then I also have done Dark Disciple, uh, which is by Christy Golden, and that is about Asajj Ventress and Quinlan Voss in the tail end of the Clone Wars. They was The book was written from unused uh, Clone Wars scripts. Uh, so it was meant to be in the Clone Wars. I'm very sad it wasn't, but the book is ace, and the audiobook is also so brilliant as well so 
If you want to hear my reviews on those, they're not quite as long as this. They're not as structured as these ones, but they still, I generally give my thoughts without spoiling it. And then I go into slightly more spoilery stuff, but they are generally about half an hour long each. So obviously there's five of those out at the moment. I'm currently listening to the first of the Darth Bane audiobooks. Uh, so Darth Bane is obviously a very important Sith in Legends, and he's actually in canon because he's in the Clone Wars. The arc that I mentioned earlier with Yoda, where he goes on this Force journey, he does go to a Sith temple on Moraban, which is basically just Korriban. They're the same place and he's he interacts with like this artifact that has been like imbued with like a curse that's kind of that has like an ethereal spirit of darth bane um it's i'm massacring what happens in that episode but if you don't know anything about darth bane and you want to know about stuff in the canon he basically created the rule of two which is what the sith adhere to by the skull saga because they've been hiding in the shadows for like a thousand years since the ancient sith wars and stuff but reading in legends you get a lot more details about it obviously it's where they all kind of came from so I'm very interested by that. So I'm releasing a lot of all my Legends content, like uh, reviews and things. That's all going to be on my Patreon. And then just non-High Republic books, I think, are all going to be on there as well. Because I think with all the High Republic stuff coming out, I think it's a good place to put them on this channel. Uh, regarding Brotherhood, which is the Obi-Wan and Anakin book, which is set right at the start of Clone Wars, I believe. I think that's where Anakin's going to get knighted. I I'm pretty sure that's what the book is going to be by Mike Chen. I think that either has just come out or it's coming out very soon. I'm very interested to buy that but i don't think i'll be doing a full book review on this channel um i'll just stick to high republic stuff because i've got a lot of things to do there and then i've obviously got idw stuff you know star wars adventures comics tales uh, of vader's castle i've got two more batches of those to do um so lots of other things uh to do but on my patreon as well as those book reviews i also do an afterthought show with uh, my girlfriend megan we obviously went to malta recently we did a 40 minute podcast about malta that i just uploaded so if you want to hear about our travels in malta and stuff and you want to know a bit more about me when i'm not talking about star wars or talking to guests on genuine chit chat you just want to hear what i am like to talk to outside of podcasting it's basically the same then you know you can check that out you can find out what me and megan are up to and we also do movie reviews we're doing a tom hanks rewatch at the moment so we'd well, rewatch we're doing a watch of tom hanks movies so we started with big so we did big the burbs turner and hooch uh joe versus the volcano uh we've just done sleepless in seattle and a league of their own sleepless in seattle will be uploaded in a week or so so we're going through tom hanks movies then we've got philadelphia and forrest gump coming up as well and we'll be doing toy story and apollo 13 and lots of those other movies basically all the way up to modern tom hanks i think we need to go back and do a couple of our older ones as well like splash and the money pit that we missed but you know, if you want to hear um, a couple of people talk about movies that they haven't seen, and we also do MCU movies, we go to the cinema and watch stuff, and we do spoiler-free reviews of those as well, as well as we do, do watch some random older movies too. We watched Rent the other day, Rent the other day, which I hadn't seen, so I'm planning on doing a review on that too. So if you want Star Wars book reviews that aren't on this channel, if you want Star Wars Legends book reviews that aren't on this channel, if you want movie reviews, and you want to hear what me and my girlfriend get up to when we go on holidays and things, and you want to support the show and get early access to certain things as well all of that is available for one pound a month over at patreon.com slash genuine chits chat if you're unsure and you want to find you want to have a bit of a taster uh, then in the description there should be a link uh, which is bit.ly slash tom hanks one you can either type that into your browser or just click it uh, and then it'll take you to the patreon post of our first tom hanks episode about big where we watch that and you get to consume that completely for free so um yeah that's gonna be it for me guys please follow me on social media at genuine chit chat check out my conversations with claudia gray with kevin scott with paola villanelli who's a comic book artist of for star wars specifically at the moment he's doing the bounty hunters run of comics and some of the other conversations i've been having that aren't star wars related but you know please subscribe to my 
YouTube channel. I want to get my subscriber count up so I can change my channel link name. And it's good to get more views on YouTube as well because it's very public and everyone can kind of see it, even though almost no one listens on YouTube, but still. Uh, but yeah, there's lots of ways to interact with me just mainly social media is probably the best way you can email me and check out the show notes for all the other guest spots i've done Uh, i've been on star wars timeline quite a few times now we did part two of our episode on accents we did it on the original trilogy we've now done other prequels and then i just recorded a conversation with ben we talk about villains in star wars so lots of great places you can listen to me talking that you can listen to me talking about star wars or not or whatever lots of different places there but um thank you so much for listening guys as always i appreciate each and every one of you listening especially all the way to the end uh let me know what you thought of fallen star and the other high republic books and as always i'll talk to you next week and may the force be with you the intro for star wars comics and canon is arranged by myself mike burton and the backing music was made by eric matias of soundimage.org you have just experienced host creator everything else of genuine chit chat and also the host and creator of star wars comics and canon found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.